Church, how do you deal with the problem of indwelling sin in your life? Last week in Romans chapter 7, Paul gave us a profound picture of the ongoing struggle with sin that a Christian has in their life. Often doing what they know they're not supposed to do and not doing what they know they are supposed to do. And at the end of that passage, Paul cried out in frustration over his inability to change himself. Exclaiming, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Does anyone ever feel that way? Frustrated by doing what you don't want to do or not doing what you know you ought to do? Can you relate with Paul in his ongoing struggle with sin? I think if we're honest with ourselves, this is a sentiment that all of us have cried and continue to cry and sometimes feel like we constantly cry at our inability to become the men and women that we want to be and that we know we are supposed to be and that we were created to be. Wretched people that we are, who will save us from these bodies of death? What hope do we have to ever get better? To be different? What resource is available to us to help find victory over this often discouraging area of our lives? How do we deal with the problem of indwelling sin? At the end of last week's passage, after Paul's cry of desperation over the dilemma that he faced in his ongoing struggle with sin, he ended the passage with a cry of celebration over the answer to this dilemma when he exclaimed, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Paul left us last week with the hope of an answer to our problem with sin. And it had something to do with God uh, through the work of his son. But what exactly is that hope? What exactly has God done through Christ to address our problem with sin? That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So if if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it with me to Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. As we consider together God's solution... For the problem of our sin. In these first 11 verses of Romans chapter 8, Paul gives us a list of several benefits and blessings that we can receive and experience as a result of the work that God has done through His Son for our lives. Look at them with me. In verse 1, Paul says that there is therefore now no condemnation For those who are in Christ Jesus. In verse 2 he says. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In verse 4 he writes. That the righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. In verse 5 Paul describes how God has changed the minds of those who live according to the spirit. In verse 6, he describes the blessed outcome of, of life and peace 
for the life of those who set their mind on the Spirit. In verses 10 and 11, he describes the righteous life that we live because of the Spirit. These are all the the fruit and the blessings and the benefits of the work that God has done through His Son for our lives. And it's an incredible list. No condemnation for our sin. Freedom from the law. A new way to think and live. Peace of mind. Righteousness of life. These are all of the things that Paul was desiring but not experiencing in his ongoing struggle with his indwelling sin. He was experiencing a sense of guilt and feelings of enslavement and a lack of peace and very little righteousness. And so this was God's answer to Paul's. And to all of humanity's cry, when we come to the end of ourselves and we realize that that we're not able to be the people that we were created to be and that we know we ought to be and that we desperately want to be. So acknowledging his wretchedness and looking beyond himself, Paul cried out for help. And this was God's answer. And so Paul exclaimed, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He thanked God for giving us what we need. But did you notice in these verses how God has done it? Did you notice how God has given us what we so desperately need? This is a really important point. Because as our passage this morning makes clear, these benefits aren't experienced by everyone. And so if we want to know these benefits in our lives, we have to know how it is that they are obtained. Fortunately, Paul tells us, and if you listened closely as I read that list earlier, or if you read through those verses for yourself, you should quickly notice one important modifier that is present in each and every one of these blessings and benefits that Paul listed that clarifies how it is that they come into our lives. Listen closely as I read a few of them again. In verse 1, Paul says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In verse 2, he says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In verse 4, he writes that the righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to The Spirit. And I could read through all of them again, but I I hope you are hearing the point. That there is a modifier in each of these benefits listed that varies slightly from statement to statement, but always means the same thing. And what Paul is saying is that these promises and blessings and benefits that God has made possible are available for those who are in Christ. For those who live according to the Spirit and who are in the Spirit. Those modifiers define who receives the benefits and the blessings of the gospel that God has made available through Christ. So what I want to talk for a moment this morning, first about what those modifiers mean and then about why these modifiers matter. First, what do these modifiers mean? What does it mean to be in Christ or to be in the Spirit? 
Paul makes this very clear for us at the end of our passage today in verses 9 and 10 where he writes, You are in the Spirit if the Spirit of God dwells in you. And then he goes on to say, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. So very simply put, to be in Christ means that Christ is in you. To be in the spirit means that the spirit of God dwells in you. In you. And this ultimately is what it means to be a Christian, isn't it? We often wrongly believe that to be a Christian means to to ascend to an intellectual belief about what God has done for us in Christ. And while believing is part of the equation, it is far from the whole of it. Or even from the most essential piece of what it means to be a Christian. For when Jesus was talking with Nicodemus, the the Pharisee who came to him at night seeking to understand what Jesus was all about, Jesus did not say to Nicodemus, you need to understand more or believe better, did he? No. Instead, Jesus told him, you must be born again. For This is what it means to become a Christian. It is new birth, new creation. A resurrection life where the old has died and the new has come, where we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. Where God's Holy Spirit comes and gives life to our mortal bodies. That is what it means to be a Christian. It is not a smarter you or a better you. It is an entirely new you. In fact, it's not you at all. It's Christ in you. It's a new identity altogether. This is what it means to be a Christian. It's Christ living his life in and through you by his Holy Spirit. That is what it means to be in Christ or in the Spirit. It means that Christ, by His Spirit, is in you. And there are a number of reasons why this is significant for our lives. The first reason, as Paul shows us in this passage, is that this is the essential element that allows someone to receive the gospel benefits which God promises us in the Scriptures. No condemnation for sin, freedom from the law, life and peace and righteousness. These things only come as a result of the presence of the Spirit in our lives. They they only come into our lives when Christ comes into our lives, when He brings them with Him into our lives. His presence brings them. We see that throughout this passage with Paul's use of the modifiers in Christ and in the Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've been set free 
in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. These benefits only happen because of God's presence in our lives by the Spirit. Now, the negative implication of this reality, which these verses imply throughout and at the end state clearly, is that without the Spirit of God present in our lives, we don't have access to these things. If you don't have Christ in you, then condemnation for sin remains. If the Spirit isn't in you, then slavery to the law of sin and death remains your status in life. Throughout this passage, it's alluded to in verse 9, it's stated clearly that anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So the presence of the Spirit in our lives is what opens us to access to the life of Christ and to all of the benefits and blessings that He brings to bear. And those blessings are significant. Because if you think about it, Christ's life, if you think about Christ's life, it was exactly the life that we would want to live. That He was perfect in every way. Perfect in love towards those around Him. Perfect in righteousness in all of His actions. He perfectly fulfilled the positive exhortations of God's law. And he perfectly refrained from the negative prohibitions of God's law. He had perfect peace in the midst of the storms of his life. He perfectly sacrificed his well-being for those who were in need. He perfectly submitted himself to his Father in heaven. And he perfectly lived in unbroken communion and fellowship with his Father in heaven as well. For all of these reasons and so many more, Jesus was the most fulfilled human being who has ever lived. Full of grace, full of truth, full of life, full of love, full of joy, full of peace, full of righteousness, full of holiness. Jesus is the person that we've always wanted to be. He's what we were intended to be in Adam before our lives were marred by sin. And he's come to redeem us and to make us that again by offering his life to us and by living his life in us. This is what we are supposed to be. And it's the very thing that we have always needed. We heard this in our Old Testament and gospel readings from this morning. In Ezekiel chapter 36, as the Lord lamented how his people had been profaned by their sin God promised that he would one day sprinkle clean water on them and cleanse them from their uncleanness. And he promised to give them a new heart and to put a new spirit inside of them, within them. And he said that that new spirit would be his spirit and that it would cause them to walk in his statutes and to obey his rules. What we have never been able to do for ourselves, God said He would do for us. This is what we've always needed. Because in our own power, in our own strength, in our own flesh, we are not able. We do what we don't want to do, and we don't do what we should do. And so we need help from beyond ourselves to live the life that we were created to live. Jesus said this too in our gospel reading today, John chapter 6. He told his disciples, it is the spirit 
Who gives life? The flesh is no help at all. In your own power, in your own strength, by your own will, you will never be able to live the life that you want to live and that you were created to live. On our own, we cannot do it. We need Him. His Spirit in us. That is the source of our life. And that is why Paul, when faced with his ongoing struggle with indwelling sin, wretched man that I am, as he came to the end of himself and looked beyond himself, who will save me from this body of death? This is why he was then able to rejoice. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because God has given us of his spirit. In Christ, God has given us himself. He's placed his life into our bodies. And this, Paul recognizes, is the ultimate and the only answer to the problem of our indwelling sin. It's Christ's indwelling spirit. The answer to our indwelling sin is God's indwelling spirit. He can do with our sin what we cannot. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. We need the spirit of God. And with the spirit of God within us, we no longer need to live in that Romans 7 dilemma. We can now choose to do what is right. And we can now resist from doing what is wrong. We can live without condemnation from our sins. We can live out from under the burden of the law. We can live with our minds transformed to think differently. We can experience peace that we did not know before. We can live a righteous life. All that we want, all that we desire, we can begin to experience. And the reason that we can do it is because it is no longer us who lives, but Christ who lives in us. And he's already resisted all of Satan's temptations. He's already proven himself victorious over sin. He's already dealt with the condemnation for our sins. He's the epitome of a peaceful life. He is the definition of righteousness. All of these things he has already done, lived, experienced. And so when his life comes into our lives, he brings this with him for us to experience and to be transformed by. Church, do you believe this? This is the life we've always wanted, whether we know it or not. This is the life we've always wanted. And it is on offer to us through Christ by his spirit. So how do we experience it? Because I know that many of us would say that this is great. But I'm a Christian and I have the spirit of God and I still struggle with indwelling sin. And a lack of peace. All of these things. And to that I would say that's normal. And 
that the scripture gives us direction in order to grow in these areas of our lives into holiness, into Christ-likeness of life. So, for example, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, we should seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated. And we should set our minds on things that are above, not on earthly things. And that we are to put away what is earthly in us. And we are to put on the Christ-like attributes that we desire, like compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and forgiveness and love. It's a similar exhortation uh, to what Paul said to the Galatians when he instructed them to set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. In both of these passages, Paul is exhorting the church to do these things, to live into them, to practice them. There is an active engagement, a trying, a doing that is implicit here. It is, per, it is a participation with Christ in living his life where he makes the resource available and we have to choose to put him on. We have to choose to apply his presence to our lives. And as we take those steps, as we try to do these things in dependence upon the spirit and his power at work in us, he helps us. But he doesn't just do it all for us. To the church in Corinth, Paul said that he trains at these things like an athlete. He works hard at trying to do this more and more and more in his life. And he says that as we do this more and more, we grow day by day. From one degree of glory to another. More and more and more into the image of Jesus. And into Christ-likeness of life. If we will walk by the Spirit, then we will not gratify the desires of our flesh. It's a participation in Christ's life that we are invited into more and more, deeper and deeper, all of the days of our lives. And so there is an element in which we can grow by our disciplined life, by our participation in the means of grace that God has given to us, we can grow into this in our lives. But there's also an element of this in which the Spirit of God is just mysteriously at work in and through us in this matter. When Jesus was talking with Nicodemus about being born again, he likened the Spirit to the wind. And he said that we can see the Spirit at work But we don't always know where he goes and where he comes. We don't always know how and when his work happens. So there is a mystery to how Christ works in us by his spirit. And we should entrust ourselves to that. But there is absolutely no mystery to the fact that God wants us to experience his spirit's work in our lives. He wants us to grow in Christ-likeness of life. He wants us to grow in holiness because it's good for us. It's life that's truly life. It's the way that we flourish. And in Luke 11, Jesus shows us God's heart for us in this. When he likens God to a father. And he says that if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will the heavenly father 
Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him. So church, that's how we're going to end today. We're going to ask the Father to give to us his spirit. Earlier in the service, we sang a song of invocation to the Holy Spirit. Asking the Holy Spirit to come, to dwell, to fill this place, to fill us, to have his way in us, to make us more aware of his presence in our lives. We're going to close this time by singing that song again. And as we sing, I want you to offer this song as a prayer to your Father in heaven. Asking him to give you his spirit in whatever way you need to encounter him and experience him and have his power come to bear on your life in this season of life that you're in. There may be some of you here who, having heard this, wonder if you've ever had the Spirit of God in you. If you don't know that, today is a great day to invite the Spirit of God to come into your life. He wants to come and live inside of you. Surrender your life to Him. Give your life to Him. Ask Him to take over your life. That's how you become alive in Christ. That's how you become a Christian. If you've never done that, do that today in this time. Cry out for God to have His way in your life. There may be some of you who know that you are a Christian and you have the Spirit of God, but the Spirit may feel very dormant in your life. And you may feel like for a long time there's been no growth, no power, no victory over sin, no signs of the presence of the Spirit in your life. If that's the case for you, then as we sing this song... Make it a prayer where you're crying out for God to fan the flames of His Spirit in your life again. That He might might come to life in you. That you might be more aware of the reality of His presence in your life. You might press more, further, deeper into Him and what He wants to do in you. There may be some of you who have a very specific area of sin that you struggle with in your life. That you know it's a problem, you've tried to deal with it, but you've never had success. Make this prayer a cry that the Spirit of God would come in power. To bring you victory. The ability to resist, the power to stand up. To remove the condemnation and the guilt. To know your freedom from the law in these things. Whatever it is that God wants to do in your heart, in your spirit, in your life, by His presence... As we sing this song, make it a prayer and a cry and a plea that the Spirit would fan to flame in your life. And that today and forevermore, you'd have a new awareness of the reality and the power of the presence of God in your life. That His life might be lived in you. Let's offer our lives to the Spirit again.